what's happening everybody welcome to the talking shop podcast this is episode 24 i'm your host brad roland and today we'll be wrapping up the uh, trade deadline that passed this afternoon we are coming to you one day late uh, in order to allow the trade line trade, trade deadline to pass and while nothing really happened on this final Monday, it was probably worth the risk in the end, considering the Braves were certainly in the midst of a lot of things. Today, I am joined by the great Scott Coleman. What's going on, Scott? Hey, Brad. How you doing? Too bad. I uh, figured we'd have some more to talk about, but we've, we've had plenty of stuff that the Braves the last couple of days, so should be a lot to, lot to digest. Yeah, we, we could have recorded on Sunday night. We, uh, you and I talked offline and kind of decided it'd be smarter to wait. Uh, thinking the Braves were going to be one of the more active teams. It looked like they were probably going to do something, and then they didn't. Yeah. But here we are. It's not too late. The Braves aren't playing tonight. We're recording on Monday night. No game tonight, so it's not like we're missing anything. And uh, it'll just be you'll still have plenty of time to, to listen to this podcast before they start playing baseball. If you're even still watching baseball, you listeners out there, a lot of you, I, a lot of you I know have kind of punted on watching games, and it's tough to blame you. But hey, we're always here, and uh, it's time to talk some trade stuff. Um, well, the big news in Braves country this week, uh, was obviously the Matt Kemp trade. The Braves, uh, essentially traded, uh, Hector Oliveira and all of his troubles to San Diego in exchange for Matt Kemp, uh, in the, in the rare one for one, uh, bad contract for bad contract trade. Uh, there are a bunch of logistics to get to, but, uh, before we get to all those, Scott, I'll just ask you, uh, overall takeaways on this one. Are you, uh, happy with the deal? What are we thinking here in terms of uh, how the Braves did in getting rid of Oliveira? I'm about as indifferent on this trade, I think, as possible. The Oliveira situation was just so bad. Uh, you know, the Braves, he made a horrible decision, and he did it after not producing on the field. Uh, he was essentially dead money to the team. And, you know, if the Braves were a Dodgers or a Red Sox or a Yankees and they could just kind of boot the, the $28, 30000000 million, whatever he had left on his deal, and just kind of cut him and say, well, there you go, um, I think they would have. And at the end of the day, while it was pretty obvious that Oliveira wasn't going to play a game, I, I another game at least in Atlanta, I don't blame the Braves for trying to get something um, especially if, if they consider it to be sunk, sunk money. Um, so, of course, there's many, many aspects of the deal which we'll go over. I'm kind of indifferent on it. You know, Matt Kemp for $8.5 million a year, which is how the money shook out. Um, you know, he is still going to be making the full uh, $21.5 million he's making. It's just when you cut out the money that Oliveira was making and the $10.5 million that, that the Padres via the Dodgers are sending over. Um, of course, the trade looked a little bit better when everybody thought they were getting Kemp for $5.5 million the next three seasons, but um, 8 and a half really, you know, the difference of $3 million is not a huge amount in today's baseball world. Um, so I'm kind of indifferent on it. There are some ups and downs and po- positives and, and negatives with this deal, um, but we'll certainly, we'll certainly see, and it's exciting to get a guy like Matt Kemp, even if he's you know, even just a shadow of what he was a couple of years ago as an MVP candidate. Um, it'll certainly be something to see him in left field and, and at the plate. Yeah, you mentioned the money stuff. That's something we should at least go over for the uh, fans who haven't read up on this yet. Uh, the Braves uh, in the trade are getting $10.5 million. That's the reported figure um, from San Diego, uh, potentially via, via Los Angeles uh, in exchange for camp. And that, that basically pays for the rest of his salary this season. Um, and after that, the Braves would be paying him $18 million per year over the next three, running through the 2019 season. Um, that, of course, um, when Oliveira was making about, um, 
you know, probably about nine and a half if you average it out over the next uh, couple of years. Also, that basically means that the Braves are paying, as you said, $8.5 million more um, for Kemp than they would have been paying for Oliveira. And given that, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, given this, given this trade and this return, that the Braves were never going to bring Oliveira back. Uh, they were never going to say that publicly because that would have uh, killed, you know, further killed his trade value. But they were noncommittal about bringing Oliveira back uh, even when he was eligible to play. Um, and it looks like, um, you know, with their willingness to take on this much more money, that they probably were going to, you know, cut bait with Oliveira one way or another. But, um, you know, I guess the just the contract itself, I mean, if, even if it was three years for $54 million for Matt Kemp, uh, that wouldn't be great, I'll say that. Um, and I, I, know what, I, know, I know what you were doing and what I'm kind of doing also is kind of just talking about the difference, meaning that it's $8.5 million a year. That's fair to do. Um, but it's, at the same time, this is not a team that has a big budget, as you mentioned. So it's almost as if they, you know, they, they cut Oliveira and are paying more. So that's, it's, that's what it is. There's different ways to think about it. Um, Kemp at three years for $8.5 million per season um, is less than he would have gotten on the open market, if you think about it that way. Um, even with all of his flaws as they kind of exist, and we'll talk about those, that would have been a value deal. So if you think about it that way, then it's absolutely a win. Um, but that's also the most optimistic way of thinking about it, considering uh, the Braves did make the mistake of you know trading for Oliver in the first place. Obviously, they couldn't have seen the domestic violence coming. Um, but all of that, all of that to say, this is one of those deals that you kind of mentioned. It's kind of a lukewarm feeling. Uh, Kemp um, is a fan favorite, and we'll get to that in a minute of a reason why he's kind of ingratiating himself positively already in Atlanta with something he did today. But um, I don't know. It's one of those things where Kemp is not great. I think people think Matt Kemp is better than he is. Uh, not diehards like us. Uh, you and I can look at the numbers and kind of decipher that he's not been great in the recent past, but he was at one time one of the best players in baseball and with the Dodgers, and people know him because of that. Uh, he used to date Rihanna, which makes him more famous. Um, there's all sorts of things to make Matt Kemp uh, more interesting, but um, the player is not that inspiring, and I can see why you're not terribly excited about it. You know, with Kemp, he's such a figure, and you touched on kind of his um, coming to Atlanta, and he wrote something in the Players' Tribune, which is worth a read. You know, whether Matt Kemp actually wrote it or he paid somebody at his his, uh, his agent's office to write it for it's, him. It's probably a combination. I know a little bit about Players' Tribune. I know a couple guys that work there. He probably... Uh, from what I understand, he probably wrote it but didn't write it, if that makes sense. Like, it's probably sure. his thoughts, uh, not necessarily formatted in the way that he would have formatted them. It's more probably more of an oral history kind of thing. Sure. But yeah, his, his, take, thoughts, okay. his, his thoughts, at least. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it's worth a read. Um, it's not super lengthy, and it touches on him, you know, being a Braves fan, growing up in middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, and talks about, you know, the only game he could get on TV was the Braves on TBS, which you know, any Braves fan of more than, you know, 10 years or so remembers. I mean, that's why growing up in Missouri and, and now living in Arizona, uh, that's why I am a Braves fan. And in middle Missouri, it was easier to watch a Braves game on TBS than it was to watch a Royals game on Fox Sports, Kansas City, or whatever it was at the time. So there's a lot of good stuff he talks about. And, you know, he's pretty honest. He's talking about he kind of got caught up in the, the Hollywood superstar thing, making $20 million a year, dating Rihanna, um, I think he's dated some other high-profile people over the years. Um, and he said he just kind of lost himself and lost his love for the game a little bit. Now, with that said, I don't think anybody should expect Matt to, to come to Atlanta and suddenly look like the player he was in 2010, 2011, when he was one of the greatest players in baseball. 
Um, but it was, you know, it's certainly interesting to get his take on in his career and his personal life, hopefully getting out of Southern California, getting to the team he grew up watching, um, you know, gives him a little bit of juice. And if he can turn it into something, um, I think the Braves would take it. As we've said, they weren't getting anything out of Oliveira. If he can be a right-handed power bat, which there are zero of um, in the upper levels of the farm system right now, I think it's probably a worthwhile deal for Atlanta in the long run. Yeah, that's the reason I think this, that the Braves did this deal, aside from getting rid of Oliveira, which is obviously uh, the biggest part of this, in my opinion. They just wanted to get rid of that contract and really the headache that he has brought. Um, but as far as baseball is concerned, uh, the right-handed power is a big thing. Um, the Braves don't have any of it in the majors, uh, quite obviously. And you mentioned that it's, not, it's one of the weaknesses in, in the minors right now is that um, they don't really have that guy. Plus, with the way the outfield is shaking out, and we'll, we can get deeper into this if you want to. It's more um, we we talked about it a little bit already in the podcast is that right now three of you know three of all you know all three major league outfielders that we know are major league outfielders on this roster right now, Malik Smith, Ender Enciarte, and Nick Markakis. None of those guys have any power, and you don't want to play three guys in the outfield that don't have any power. So for what for all of Kemp's warts, and we'll I can I'll read off the numbers here in a second. He does have power. That's the one thing that he still does that we can kind of bank on him doing is hitting for power. Uh, this year he has 23 home runs and 431 plate appearances, and that's you know over a 30 home run pace for the season. Um, there are some other things that are not great about his game, really most things, um, as far as the last couple of seasons have not been good outside of the power, but the power is legit. And to have that kind of, that kind of power bat was something that I'm sure the Braves were targeting, and the, probably the reason why they made this move was to add a, add a bat like that. He is 31 years old, um, which hilariously is not older than Hector Oliveira. Um, he is a little bit older uh, by, by months than uh, Oliveira was, but uh, you would think given Oliveira's uh, status as a quote-unquote prospect that Kemp would be a lot older, but they're actually the same age, which made me laugh when I realized that uh, earlier today. But um, uh, you mentioned it. I don't think Kemp's going to get a lot better considering his age. Um, maybe you, maybe something of a bounce back considering all the stuff that you said about him getting getting back to sort of his roots, getting back to um, a more just baseball fo- baseball first, baseball-focused um, mentality. You've seen some positive signs this year uh, in San Diego, um, but as far as the overall player is concerned, there are some issues starting with his defense and his inability, at least recently, to get on base. Do you think that's either one of the things are going to be uh, rectifiable? Uh, you mentioned, and I think Mark Bowman reported this, that I think the Braves are playing on playing him in left field. That should that should hide a little bit of the defense. I think a lot of his uh, awful defensive metrics uh, stem from playing center field when he should not have been playing center field. But uh, what do you think about his, you know, his potential as a defensive player in left field? We'll start with that. Defensively, when you're next to a guy like Ender Inciarte, assuming that that Ender is around uh, next year, um, and we'll touch on that in a bit, I, I think it'll certainly help playing next to a Gold Glove caliber center fielder. Um, Cap certainly has no no business at all being in center and in right field. Anyone who's ever been to Petco Park knows how large of an outfield that is, um, especially right field with some odd dimensions down the line. Um, so I think moving to left field, he, he still has a big arm. He, he just doesn't have any mobility, any lateral quickness. Um, so he's certainly not going to suddenly wake up tomorrow morning and turn into a, a solid defender out there. I hope that the Braves start to align in Ciarte towards a couple steps towards left field just to help. Um, hopefully, as as we move on in the rebuild, you get someone like Dansby Swanson um, at shortstop who can cover kind of short left, which is 
uh, you know, snag a couple plays as, as Andrelton Simmons used to do to kind of make up for uh, the shortcomings in left field. Um, but no, he, he's never been a great defender. And, and at the age of 31, almost 32, um, he isn't going to just suddenly wake up and, and be a, a solid guy out there for, um, you know, six or seven nights a week. Yeah, he's lost a lot of athleticism too. I think when he first came up, you know, he had that you know that stolen base speed, had some good years on the base pass, and you think of uh, at least at least the more casual fans always think of guys who are fast as good defenders. Uh, first of all, Kemp's not fast anymore. Uh, he's not like the slowest guy in the world, but he's not really a, a fast guy at this stage of his career. Um, whether it be just because of wear and tear or age or for for whatever reason, he's not the most fleet of foot guy in the world. And speed's not everything anyway, as we saw with guys like Jose Constanza. Um, you know, speed's not everything defensively, even though people think that it is. Uh, but I, I think hiding him in left field is going to be helpful for Kemp's defensive value. Uh, we've seen the Braves try this before uh, long ago with guys like Ryan Klesko, a uh, guy who they basically just stuck in left and prayed. Um, they, they were going to try this with, with, with Oliveira. That was, that, was, that was the plan with, uh, with him upon arrival once they figured out that he couldn't play third base was to stick him in left field. Left field is, you know, aside from first base, the least taxing position on the on the diamond defensively. So if they can get even remotely average production defensively, that would be a huge win. Even if it's, I'm expecting it to be below average, kind of like what you said, but having Enciarte or, and or Malik Smith in center field will help um, because those guys are both, uh, well, Smith was good in his limited time this year, and he's also quite fast, covers a lot of ground. NCRT is legitimately awesome uh, defensively. So either one of those guys next to him will help a lot. Um, right field remains to be uh, seen what they're going to do there. But I think hiding Kemp a little bit in left will help. Just and This is the same argument that I've made, and I think you've made as well, about um, before this, moving, it, moving, moving Marquecas to left field would have been an, a plus for his defensive value because – of the fact that he just can't cover ground anymore, and most most alignments, most ballparks, um, I think you you mentioned Petco. There's a, a number of different ballparks around where right field is significantly more spacious than left field. You'll see uh, most teams play their guy with the best arm in right field. There's a reason for that. Uh, Marquez does not have the best arm and can't move, uh, and the, but sadly he now has to play right field as currently constructed, at least. Um, unless, as provided he's on the roster, he's. I think this is this is crazy for me to say out loud. I think he's a better defender than Matt Kemp. So, um, I you know me praising Nick Marquez's defense is a new thing for this podcast. But uh, <laughs> I think him playing right is the right move now uh, with Kemp and left, and that's that's the alignment moving forward. At least until we get some clarity on what Marquez's status is moving forward. And I think while we we have kind of. Um, I mean, we aren't even bashing on him because they're facts. You know, Kemp is not a good defender. Um, he does bring some positives to the Braves, and, and he's not, you know, it's not like the Braves acquired one of the worst players in baseball here, or at least the last couple of years he hasn't been anything close to that. Um, as you mentioned, Matt Kemp hits, I mean, the guy has crazy power, even playing the last two years in, in Petco Park, over about 250 games, um, has 46 home runs. He has hit upwards of 23 home runs um, in each of like the last eight or nine years. Um, his uh, WRC Plus um, has been above 100 really his entire career, um, even this year and last year as he's fallen off a bit um, from his, his solid year in 2014 with L.A., um, still 109 and 104, which is, which is slightly above the league average. So he can hit. And the other thing he really does is he pounds left-handed, left-handed hitting or left-handed pitchers, um, just absolutely destroys them, hitting over 300 against them the last couple seasons. 
Uh, his slugging percentage against lefties in the last two years is approaching uh, 600. Um, and you look at this lineup right now, and, and other than Freddie Freeman and, and Adonis Garcia when he's on one of his little hot stretches like he is now, there's really no one, no legitimate threat to hit the ball out of the, the park at any time. Um, so he will bring some right-handed power, which will certainly help Freddie Freeman um, kind of help balance the lineup a little bit. Um, and we'll see, you know, and at the same time, you mentioned Malik Smith, you mentioned um, Nick Markakis, and maybe we kind of transition into that a little bit now. Um, he doesn't necessarily have to play every single day because the Braves have some flexibility, especially once Malik comes back. Um, and you look at the in the minors, and, and you have a guy like Dustin Peterson who who could potentially see Atlanta within a year or so. Um, so we'll see. He's he's certainly not going to be the star that people remember him as, but um, he will provide the Braves with some right-handed power, and that's something the team has not had uh, really since they got rid of Justin Upton and Evan Gaddis a couple years ago. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the fact that he mashes left-handed pitching. That's huge um, in terms of when this team is is contending, whether that be next year or the year after. Um, there's no reason he has to play every day if they find a good uh, fourth outfitter that can be more of a platoon partner for Kemp at times. Not a pure platoon, probably, because of, the, of all the money he's making. That kind of makes that difficult to build a roster. Um, but at the same time, like even right now, with the four outfielders, provided Malix was healthy, um, I'm not sure Marquecas will be on the roster with Kemp much longer. Um, but even if you had those four guys, you could play three of the four of them you know, responsibly on a daily basis. Obviously, three of those guys are left-handed. Well... NCRT effectively is left, uh, you know, he hits right-handed pitching much better than left-handed pitching. It's one of those things where um, you could play all three of uh, the lefties against the right-handed pitcher, kind of avoid Kemp and always play him against lefties, maximize him in the, and sort of in the way that, that they had with Jeff Francoeur this year, who they've actually um, gotten some actual value out of Francoeur because he's been good at hitting left-handed pitching. That's all he can really do right now, but he's doing that effectively and has been all year. So more on a grand scale than that, obviously, because Kemp is making a lot of money and has uh, a lot more upside than Frank Cor does at this stage. But it's, it's worth noting that if, if this team is, con- is contending next year or the year after, uh, there's no, nothing set in, set in stone because of the contract that says Kemp has to suddenly play 140 games and face right-handed pitching all the time because he just, he just doesn't. If he's not, if he's not hitting it, um, I'm sure they're going to give him every opportunity to stay in the lineup. But if you see a big enough sample now, um, where he only becomes not not a lefty specialist per se, but something where it's clear that he's only going to be effective or overly effective against left-handed pitching. They could sort of uh, spot him more often than not in the in the future, at least. I think so, and you know, I think that's probably one way that the Braves can use kind of their their abundance of outfielders to their advantage. As you mentioned, I'm not sure that Markakis and Kemp can coexist, um, but I would be kind of interested to see a, a super super platoon, if you will, uh, between Kemp, who of course is right-handed, Alex Smith, who's a lefty, Ender Inciarte, who's a lefty, Dustin Peterson. Again, I, I'm probably higher on Peterson than just about anybody who listens to the podcast, but um, he's 21 years old and just destroying double-A pitching right now in a pitcher's park. Um, if Peterson can come up within a year or so, he of course balances out a little bit. So we'll see how the Braves do it. Um, they also have some money to spend uh, this offseason, especially if they unload Marcakis to, to another team, even if it's at a discounted rate. Um, so maybe they go out and add another bat in the outfield. Maybe they kind of say, well, let's kind of let the kids kids played in 2017 and, and see where we're at after that. But I certainly don't think Kemp plays every day. Um, but if you can utilize him against lefties every time and, and then pick and choose whenever he goes against a righty when you don't, when, you know, there's not necessarily a better option that night. 
Um, he could be pretty valuable, at least from an offensive perspective. It's just a matter of his defense being serviceable enough. Yeah, and that's I think I'm 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 pretty positive. There's a lot of Braves fans who hated this trade today because you know not today this week about just basically saying that Kemp isn't good, and that I kind of see that if you look at the overall spectrum with his defense and all that stuff, and you look at the WAR stats, um, his contract is obviously not worth his production. But it's you have to throw in all the other factors, the Oliveira thing with knowing the team is going to move on. Uh, look at the positives that Kemp does bring, like power. Um, I, I don't hate it at all. I'm, I'm totally fine with the deal. I'm not overly uh, energized by it, kind of like you at, at, the, at the beginning. Um, but it's, it's certainly not awful by any means. Um, we should say, as we've talked about it a little bit, there's been some reporting out there. Uh, I think Mark Bowen wrote about this a little bit today, uh, or, or I think it was maybe yesterday, um, that in, uh, Ender Enciarte and or Nick Marquecas could be uh, involved in some trade discussions, even if it came in uh, August with the waiver period. Um, He's, he was mostly focused on Marcakis and said that was more likely, uh, which makes all the sense in the world considering um, Marcakis has um, the defensive limitations, the bigger contract, um, you know, the defense, no matter how good Ender Enciarte is in center field, um, your outfield defense is not going to be good with Kemp and Marcakis in the corners. Um, that would be disgusting to watch over a Yeah, it's just not going to be good. Um, so Marcakis has been the obvious trade guy forever. We talked about that, you and I. Me and really everyone on this podcast, I bring that up almost every time ad nauseum. So I don't want to get too deep into scenarios on Marcakis, but I think this does make it more likely that the Braves move on from him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't really see any way those two can coexist. Um, if the Braves want to be competitive, and if you take anything that John Hart said uh, to Hart yesterday when discussing the deal, the Braves now do want to kind of shift towards being at least respectable in 2017. Um, but for that to happen, I can't imagine they, they have both Kemp and Marquecas set to start 140, 150 games in the corner spots. Yeah, that would get ugly in a hurry. And I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the thing about getting more respectable in a hurry. Dave O'Brien from the AJC, who's a, who's a fan favorite in Talking Chop Circles, has always been that way. Oh, um, yeah. But he, uh, he tweeted um, this afternoon that the Braves may look to hold on to Jim Johnson, for instance, because they are wanting to make the end of the season more respectable. I kind of chuckled aloud at that. Um, is there? Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's. I understand why he would say that. I understand why the Braves would say that. There are obvious reasons why they want to say that. They're not going to say, "Oh, by the way, we're not trying to win." Um, but if I hope and pray that was not part of the of the logic in keeping Johnson. I should say that you know there there are room. There is room, I should say, for um, some August waiver deals, especially for guys on, on short one-year contracts like Johnson, uh, Frank Hoare, Gordon Beckham, those guys who could be dealt in the next month um, after clearing waivers. That should be, I should say that out loud. So it's not as if Johnson has to stay on the roster, but I thought that was kind of insane. Um, not not blaming Dob for writing it because I'm sure he was told that, but it's one of the things. Like I hope that's not the log- the logic here. My my thought is, John Coppola, the last two years, has literally flipped everybody Everyone. <laughs> to get anything. I mean, you could be a a guy with the upside of a sixth or seventh inning reliever in a couple years, and if there's an opportunity to get you, he'll take you. I honestly think, knowing that a deal could be made in August, um, I can't imagine anybody was lining up to give anything of substance for two months of Jim Johnson. Um, especially with his career history of really kind of blowing it in the last couple months after trades. He was awful last year with the Dodgers after the trade. Um, of course, that was the Hector Oliveira trade. 
Um, so I, if I'm if I'm the Braves and I just look at that and go, you know, do we want a D plus level prospect for two months of Jim Johnson? Probably not. I mean, at this point, they have so much pitching depth. If no one was going to give them anything, um, I guess you might as well keep them. But um, opposite of Dob's point, I don't think the Braves kept Jim Johnson for the reason of hey, we want to be competitive the next two months as we fight to not have the worst record in baseball. But Scott, more, he's, he's the National League Player of the Week. <laughs> that's that's right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's miracles happen, I guess, uh, <laughs> considering how bad he was earlier. But regardless, um, I really don't think it was the Braves looking to be more competitive. Who cares if they win 65 or 68 games this year or 60 games? Um it's really more that just no one was offering anything. And at that point, you might as well keep them just to have in the back end of the bullpen uh, the next couple months. Yeah, I'm with you. And before we move uh, <laughs> off, I know I did a bad job there of transitioning, but before we move off of uh, Kemp, Oliveira, all that stuff, Marcakis, I was going to ask you, as I, I was asked this today a couple times, um, who do you think is the starting 2017 outfield? And I'm not asking you to um, pick a free agent, but if you think it's going to be a free agent, just say free agent X unless you want to name a name. But if you were, uh, you know, gun to your head, what do you think the outfit looks like at the start of next season? I think it'll be Matt Kemp in left field, Ender and Ciarte in center field, and Malik Smith in right field, uh, with the idea of having a Jeff Francoeur, someone similar to split starts with Malik's, or at least Frenchie. Uh, face face lefties on occasion because he has, you know, he has the arm for right field, and and he still pounds lefties as he's done his whole career. Um, but yeah, if, if I had to make a prediction, I'd say Malik's in right and CRT in center and Kemp in left, which would be a lot of fun to see NCRT and Malik's play next to each other the full season. Yeah, that's a safe bet, I would think, also. I think they're going to have to move on from Arcacus, um, as far as ugly as that could be. My fear is that they're not going to want to pay all of that money. He's still owed $22 million over two seasons. The Braves are not going to like it to have to pay all that money, and they're, they're certainly going to try to... Um, sell him off um, for less than that. Um, I just don't think he has that much value. So getting something back from Arcacus is probably not going to happen. You're better off almost paying the, man, paying, the, paying the money and getting maybe a B prospect back with, with paying all the money. Um, more than that, though, on the, on the outfield for next year, I would be curious to see if they maybe play NCRT and Wright and Malik's in center. Sure. Only because I think NCRT has a better arm. Um, and he's played some out. He's played some right field. I don't think has Malik's ever played right field. I don't like extensively. Think so. I think it's been in the minors, strictly center field, and then of course he got a couple chances in left this year. Yeah, the problem though, of course, is that uh, you know if you're playing really either of them, but especially on CRT and right field, his bat in right field is not going to play. Um, yeah. So that's the worry is that, and that's the one argument for if the Braves wanted to go make uh, an offseason acquisition in the outfield, that's why you would do it because obviously the defense would be great with Smith and NCRT next to each other, but offensively you don't want Ender NCRT as a, as a st- everyday starter in right field. And nah. In center you can kind of get away with it because he's so good defensively and the, uh, the hitting expectation is, is obviously lower, but in right you want ideally to have a real bat there and he's not going to be that, I don't think. I think the ship has sailed on NCRT as a, uh, as a real bat at that level. Yeah, no, I, I, Brad, I think your mic is cutting a little bit. I'm here. You got me? Um, yeah, it's just distorted. I want to make sure. Well, hopefully it's going to come back. There you, go. there you go. Yeah, you're good. Well, there we go. We've avoided technical disaster on the podcast. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. Um, with all that out of the way, we should at least bring up... Um, Actually, let's get to the other thing first. The, there was another trade this week. It was earlier in the week, and it's but we haven't recorded since then. It was uh, less um, sexy, but actually uh, certainly a clearer win for the Braves. It involved the Texas Rangers and the Braves sending Lucas Harrell and Dario Alvarez to the Rangers for a former first-round pick. I'm going to go with Travis Demerit as the pronunciation. Um, I don't know if that's right, and you can sue me and scream at me if I'm wrong. Um, but I'm going to go with the Merritt and the Braves uh, essentially flipping two guys off the scrap heap for a legitimate uh, prospect in Demerit. Uh, did you like this as much as I did? Yeah, absolutely loved it. They flipped two guys who they weren't even probably sure would reach the big leagues when they signed them uh, in May, and they flipped them for a legitimate first-round prospect. Yeah, that, that's a win, I would say. Uh, Demerit is 21. Um, his numbers look better than they actually are. Um, he has 25 home runs. And a 583 slugging percentage, which seems incredible um, in you know late July, early August, and high A. Uh, but he is playing in a in a crazy hitter's park, um, which means there's a little bit of room for skepticism on those numbers. But he does have real power, um, and he was, uh, as we mentioned, a former first round pick in 2013. Um, I should say that he does have an 80 game PED suspension on his record. Um, it was for a masking agent, um, one of those diuretics that kind of is rumored to mask actual PED use, but um, that was a, you know, that was not, he's not on that now. He's eligible to play. We don't know how that affects things moving forward, but he's been lighting it up this year at high A and, you know, he's not, not a lights out prospect. Um, there are some flaws. Um, his power is really the best thing by far, but he has been a, a solid infielder, um, defensively by all accounts. Uh, most guy reports like him to at least be able to play second base reasonably. There's some, the jury's out on whether he can move off of that because the Braves obviously have, um, two middle infield guys uh, already in, in Albies and Swanson. So there's been some questions about whether he can play third base, maybe some outfield. Uh, it's more about the bat. He's very raw. He's 21, um, a, high school, a high, school, high school guy out of the draft. But anytime you can get a real prospect, uh, he was one of the top 10 prospects in Texas' system. Um, MLB Pipeline ranks him now as one of the top 10 prospects in the Braves system, which I think is pretty aggressive considering how deep the Braves are. Um, yeah, but that was a little high on him. Yeah, Just, it's yeah. high, but regardless, like this is to get something of this kind of value for Lucas Harrell and Dario Alvarez is sure. just like Houdini from copy. Yeah, I mean, again, it was two guys that were were literally any team in baseball could have had, and to be able to have really to get some decent value out of them for two months, making the league minimum to flip um, Alvarez and, and Harrell for a you know a legitimate prospect. Um, Demerit is a kid who has a ton of swing and miss to his game. Um, of course, it's never good to judge based off of a small sample, a sample of the size. Um, but I think in his first 15 or so at bats um, with Carolina, he struck out like 10 times. Um, so that's who he is. He's a smaller guy, but he swings for the fences. Whenever he does make contact, the ball just flies off his bat. Um, he, he, I think he's just missed two home runs and already has a couple doubles and triples, um, you know, in the couple games he's played with, with the Braves. So again, if he was the headliner piece and, you know, in a bigger deal, you worry about his bust factor because there's a pretty good chance that he, he swings and misses, um, kind of his way out of the minor leagues. But even if he turns into a utility guy, um, a bench weapon to, for, you know, a power hitter off the bench, you take that, 
Um, Javier Baez of the Cubs is probably a best case scenario for him. He's athletic. He could handle a couple of positions. Um, you know, if he can just put the bat on the ball enough, uh, and, and doesn't strike out, you know, in a third of his at bats as he's done kind of so far, um, as a professional player, uh, there's value in him. And again, you said he's 21 years old, um, pretty raw as far as a prospect might be a guy who takes a couple more years, probably needs to repeat double A or a high A ball next year. Um, but again, you got him for almost nothing. He's kind of like the Tuki Toussaint in, in that factor of you gave up almost nothing to get him. Um, and if he turns into nothing, no harm, no foul. But if he does turn into a nice little piece, um, we'll look back on this trade in a couple of years as, as one that really kind of helped move the rebuild along. Yeah, this is the sneaky stuff I love about copy is just these, these, these deals that seem small, but they're clearly like everybody loves that gets this stuff like – Texas, you know, you can't fault the Rangers. They're going all in. They went and got Jonathan LeRoy today. They went and got uh, Jeremy Jeffress. Like they're they're going out and they're they're going all in. So the Rangers wanted to go get somebody that that they, that, that they thought could help them this year. In Harrell as like a swing starter, Alvarez was good with the Braves um, in limited in limited outings uh, out of the bullpen. So I get it for Texas. I don't like it for Texas. I love it for the Braves. But the type of stuff you have to take advantage of. You find a team that's trying to go all in and exploit them. And that's what Copy did, and that's the, that's the reason why I like his uh, his GM um, stylings to this point is that he's always uh, always up for getting some extra value in a place that you probably don't see it coming. Absolutely, you know, in the middle of a rebuild like we are, even towards the end of the rebuild, um, and he said this before, even when the big league team is good, you always want to keep restocking that farm system. Um, that's why the Braves fell off um, to an extent the way they did after the 2014 season. They just didn't have that crop. Um, in the minor league system, um, hopefully, even as the Braves, again, hopefully come out of this rebuild in a, in a positive way, um, they continue to make low-key moves like this that can only help in the long run. For sure. Just ask, just ask Frank Ryan how it went to uh, gut the farm system and have to uh, end up with the worst farm system in baseball. It's kind of, it really is kind of insane. I thought about this the other day of going from the worst farm system in baseball to the best farm system in baseball in, what, less than two years? Yeah, it's yeah. that's impossible. I mean, well, it's, and, it's and as we've seen, if you know, you follow along the deadline today, uh, the Yankees are selling everybody off. The Brewers got a serious haul uh, for Luke Roy. Um, the A's traded Josh Hill, or uh, um, Reddick and Hill to the Dodgers and got a huge return. You know, it's kind of the thing that the Cubs and Astros did about five years ago when they did their rebuild. The Braves and, and even the Phillies, to an extent, have done something similar. Um, it's, and while the Yankees will never go full-on rebuild, it's clearly what front offices are doing now, trading away your, your big assets to, to speed along speed along the rebuild process because the last place you want to be right now is kind of in that purgatory stage. You're not a playoff team or even close to being a playoff team, but you're not horrible. Um, when you start winning 72, 77 games a year, um, that's when you never get out of it, and that's when things can get ugly in a hurry. Yeah, and that's why I'm on board with the rebuild um, for sure. Um, we should mention at least one big rumor that didn't come to fruition, and that was uh, having to do with Brian McCann, uh, old pal Brian McCann, uh, former Duluth High School standout, longtime Atlanta Braves star. Uh, he's obviously been with the Yankees for a while, signed a huge deal with the Yankees in free agency that landed him there. There was some some rumors, some rumblings that uh, the Braves were interested in bringing McCann back as the Yankees, uh, as we talked about, were doing a bit of a sell-off. Um, but McCann is owed, um, it's two more years at $17 million per season. 
um, give or take a few dollars and cents there. But that's the gen- that's the general gist of it. And the Braves, it seems like we're not willing to uh, take on the majority of that money. They were going to all the reporting indicates that they wanted the, the Yankees to eat a lot of that money in order to bring McCann back for a reunion. Um, it would have been a lot of fun for me. And obviously, I think McCann would actually have been a great fit with Tyler Flowers. Um, McCann would have played more often because he's the lefty and obviously the more famous, better player. But uh, ideally, because of the way the, the, the Braves have Flowers on a bargain contract, if the Braves could get a left-handed catcher a la McCann, that would be a great fit to kind of pair those two together. Um, but the money. Uh, McCann, McCann's not worth the $17 million a year right now at this stage of his career. He's still an above, I think he's an above-average catcher. But uh, at seventeen million, you're looking for a little, probably a little bit more than that. Uh, and his age is not um, not enticing. I think I think McCann is like thirty three now, maybe thirty two. Yeah, thirty two and a half. Really, he'll be thirty three on opening day next year. So yeah, I mean, you, that that would not have been uh, the greatest thing unless New York paid um, significant money. And it looks like the Yankees were not willing to do that. It, w- it would have been fun though, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think. And really, the Brave, you know, as all the rumors started to cir- circulate on Twitter, um, even the Braves have come out and said, or I guess the sources, whoever you want to source um, for the the writers, the Braves don't value McCann at $17 million a year. They value him at about half of that. Of course, the Yankees don't want to just pay players to leave, especially, as you said, McCann is not a horrible player by any means. Um, he's probably a two-win catcher. Um, he has been the last couple of years, which, so, is re- which is really good right now for catchers. I mean. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So if they can get, um, you know, McCann at a discounted rate, you certainly take a look at it. Um, and maybe we touch on this a little bit. You know, there is Matt Weeders and and uh, and Wilson Ramos on the free agent market um, this winter, and the Braves have hinted that they are looking to spend money, um, and they could spend money on those. Um, and if they can get McCann a discounted rate compared to you know Wilson Ramos getting five years and a hundred million, uh, Weeders getting a two or three year deal about ten fifteen million annually, I think it's certainly something they'll entertain and, and try and get a bargain. Um, as you mentioned, I, I do think that McCann and Flowers could be a really nice uh, a really nice uh, platoon behind the plate. Say McCann starts a hundred games and, and Flowers starts sixty, I think that could be quite valuable, and both are really good with a pitching staff too which will certainly help the Braves as they continue to break in their young starters at the big league level. Yeah, I would much rather have McCann for two years, even at his rate, than, go, than going and signing Matt Weeders. Um, yeah. For instance, I, I think you, you, had, you had that tweet today about Weeders and how ugly it's been recently. Um, you know, Ramos is a, a better prospect to give that contract to, but he's also going to make more money. Um, yep. So I, could, I, I would not have hated, honestly, if the Braves traded for McCann for the full salary, but clearly they didn't want to do that. Um, and it's tough to blame him because it, it is an overpay. It's not a massive one if McCann can just replicate what he's done the last couple of years, but um, the Braves, after taking on the Kemp money, I'm sure we're probably reticent to take on another lucrative guy for the next couple of seasons not knowing what the team's going to look like. Well, the thing, too, everyone talks about players being overpaid. Other than rookies or young players, of course, who are on their initial deals, how many guys that have signed as free agents in the last five or ten years do you look at and go, boy, they're really underpaid? None. <laughs> no, almost no one. You're going to overpay. Tyler if you're Flowers. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. I mean, really, that's and he's a dime a dozen. I mean, right. for every ten players or 15 players that are way overpaid, you might have one guy who kind of flies under the radar um, ben Zobrist is a guy who I love that's always kind of been underpaid, or at least he was before uh, last winter with the Cubs. Um, but everybody is overpaid. 
So to this, the whole thing about, well, he's worth this and he's not worth that. Well, if everybody's overpaid, what's the true value of a dollar anymore um, across the baseball landscape? So we'll see. And, and again, if, if the difference is either McCann at you know, three years, over the next three years, making $10 million annually, or Wilson Ramos um, the next five years making $20 million annually, um, I think it's a pretty obvious choice for a budget-conscious team like Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, that's and your point, your raw point is one that I totally agree with, and which is why I would not have been upset about taking McCann's full salary. Because, I mean, $17 million, it's it's an overpay, but it's a shorter contract, and you know, I mean, McCann's about as safe as it gets. The guy's never been bad in his career. Like, he's always been good. He's always been healthy. Yeah. Uh, he, he's not a superstar anymore. He used to be yeah. a legitimate star, and now he's just an above-average catcher. But, listen, if, you saw, if he hit the free agent market right now, he'd probably get more than that. Yeah, he's just a solid player at this stage of his career. He, like you said, he's not going to go out and contend for an MVP candidate, um, but he's also, barring injury, which you could say for just about every catcher in baseball, um, he's going to be steady and consistent and, and not surprise you, which is honestly, after watching guys like A.J. Przinsky catch um, 200 or so games the last two seasons, um, I think consistency is obviously key for, for catchers. For sure, and we miss you, Brian McCann. Come home yes. if you want to. Please, please, please come home. It's fine. Party like it's 2005. <laughs> I would be so excited. Anyway, before we wrap this thing up, I do have to ask you about one one non-trade thing, and that is uh, that Matt Whistler got demoted earlier this week. Um, before I ask you what you think of that decision and how he's pitching, I should say that uh, Whistler has a 7.71 ERA in his last oh. 10 starts. Uh, and in that time, he's allowed 16 home runs in 53.2 innings, which translates to about a 50 homer pace over a full season, which is inconceivably bad. Um, so I should, I'll should i leave that out there and just ask you uh, if you're worried about Matt Whistler and if you agree with the decision to send him down. Yes, absolutely. I think the Braves really didn't have an option or a choice in the matter. Um, you know, he's when you have an ERA over seven in your last ten starts, and overall his ERA is a five one six. Um, and you dig a little deeper in his numbers, you think, well, maybe he's just been really unlucky. Maybe teams are just blooping him to death and then hitting a homer. Um, his FIP is four point nine seven. Um, his peripherals, he's not striking guys out. Um, he doesn't walk many. He's never walked many, but he's uh, you know at this point, um, it's the home run ball that's killing him. Um, and while he'll seemingly have a couple solid innings, there there seems to be that one inning or two where the wheels just completely fall off. I don't know if it's mental or physical at this point, um, but clearly he wasn't figuring it out at the big league level. He's still a pretty young guy. He's only 23, um, and there's no shame in going down to, to Gwinnett when you're 23 years old. There are plenty of 23-year-olds in, in AAA. So I think it was a move the Braves had to make, um, both for their for their benefit and Matt's. I think he still has the potential to be a, a three or a four starter one day, but clearly he wasn't. Whatever he was doing at the big league level was not working out at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was needling uh, Zach Diller of Fox Sports South, who is the world's leading Matt Whistler fan, about this on Twitter. But I, I do agree with the move to send him down uh, just for confidence. You don't want to let this guy um, kind of stew for very long and have him, yeah. lose, have him lose confidence. I still believe in Whistler as a major league starter. I think he is one and a useful one. Uh, you said you said three or four starter. I'm I'm in line with that. He's not going to be much better than that. Um, but I think he is a major league starter. We've seen flashes of that in the uh, recent past, and given his age, um, there's reason to believe in that. But the Braves have enough have enough arms to plug in. And again, this is not a team that's going to be competing for anything. 
the rest of the way this year. This year, so if they have to plug in guys who are just journeymen uh, to just make the innings work at, at the major league level, that's just fine. It's it's better to do better to do that than to risk uh, losing Whistler's confidence forever by having him just get shelled every day. So go down, you know, light light it up at AAA. Hopefully, and get your confidence back and come back for another run in September um, when the roster expands, or even before that. If they see that something's been ironed out in his mechanics or something that they, that they were worried about, it's been fixed. They can bring him back up. We've seen him be. You know, not awesome, but a solid major league pitcher at times. You know, a guy with an ERA around four for extended stretches. So that's that would be just fine. And uh, I'm all I'm all on board with with Whistler as a major league starter. So I hope this is just a blip. Um, but the home run stuff is worrisome just because, as you mentioned, he doesn't really strike anybody out, and he never has. Um, which I'm cool with if you don't walk anybody, which he hasn't, which is good. Which that's one of the reasons I believe in him is because. Strikeouts are less worrisome if you don't walk people, but home runs are uh, terrifying. And the rate that he was giving them up—I mean, that's that's some all that's some, that's some historic stuff. With allowing sixteen and fifty-three innings, that's some craziness. So well, and he wasn't—it wasn't as as if he was facing a stretch of playing, you know, the Blue Jays, right, Red Sox, and uh, you know the the Cubs. He was getting lit up by the likes of the the Nationals and the or I'm sorry, the Phillies and the Marlins. So. At that point, it's something has to give. You have to figure out something else to do than just throw the ball and let guys hit it 400 feet. Yeah, his stuff's his stuff's just not that good. I mean, it's not bad stuff, but for he has to hit his spots. That's just the type of pitcher that he is. Uh, he's gotten some uh, some comparisons to uh, Braves legends, which have been hilarious. Yeah, um, just because of pitching style. So I'm not trying to crap on it too much, but you hear the Glavin stuff and the Maddox stuff, and it's like, all right, I get what you're trying to say. He has to be a pinpoint control guy. He's not those guys. Uh, he learned some stuff from Glavin. He talked to Glavin famously. I think I think it might have been Zach Dover wrote about that this offseason. Um, but I, I still believe in Whistler. I'm just a little bit a little bit worried, not not overly so, but uh, it's something that the Braves absolutely had to do. Uh, that'll pretty much wrap it up for today, Scott. Um, anything you want to plug uh, aside from the regular goings on at Talking Chop or anything like that? Yeah, two more months, and you know it's <laughs> yes. people are, are still uh, are still tuning in and, and reading the site, and you know I'll, I'll always kind of say uh, the big league team might not be any good, but. I personally love opening up uh, the recaps every night, the, the minor league recaps, and seeing what the prospects did. Um, and lots of fun stuff. It should be a fun off season too. And and we still have uh, all of August and September. Hopefully, uh, guys like Dansby and Albie start getting called up here in the next couple weeks. Let them get a taste of the big leagues before next year. Um, certainly make the last uh, last eight weeks or so go by a little bit smoother, a little more enjoyable than than watching Eric Ibar and, and Daniel Castro up the middle um, every night. Uh, yeah, shout out to Daniel Castro, one of my personal favorites. Um, <laughs> thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and really everybody that's re- been reading the site. We've been doing uh, quite well, been, been really impressed with the uh, investment that the community has had in reading about the stuff, uh, the prospect stuff especially, but even the Major League stuff, uh, keeping tabs on us. We appreciate that. And uh, please tell your friends about the podcast and the site. I don't, think you'll be, I don't think you'll find better Atlanta Braves coverage anywhere on the internet. That's me being biased perhaps, but I do believe it. Um, you can follow... Scott on Twitter at ScottColeman55. You can follow me on Twitter at BTRoland. Please follow the site on Twitter at TalkingChop. If you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or any other platform that you may have for podcast listening. Uh, Also on SoundCloud, which is our host site. And uh, again, uh, we'll always be here. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening.